0: Welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn.
1: Hello, welcome to the Nothing is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining me, our co-host, Aubrey Sampson.
2: Hey, Nothing is Wasted listeners. How's everybody doing?
1: This is the last episode of our Surviving Abuse series. This has been a oh, very powerful series.
2: Such a powerful series. And
1: specifically this one, just to make sure that you guys are, are prepared to walk into this one. This one is about sexual abuse specifically. So if you have that yeah. as part of your story, you want to be forewarned um, on that. Before we dive into it, though, what I would love is to ask for your feedback we want to hear from you. We've been That's doing this right. the entire month of December where we are taking a survey of what you guys think about the podcast. This is so helpful to us. Yeah. Aubrey, of course, we're we're going to be all getting together in January. We're going to do this I
2: can't wait for that. I'm massive so excited.
1: strategic planning, we call it an advance, yes. not a retreat. It's an advance Love because it. we're That's trying right. to advance forward. forward. We're yep. planning for the gr- we're we're planning for the growth of this ministry. But what helps us is hearing from you. We want to know what you think about what we're doing and how we can yeah, make it better. We want
2: you to help shape the vision of nothing as right. wasted. So we want to hear from you. Yep.
1: That's right. So here's how you can partner with us in this. Um, if you text NIW survey, again, NIW survey to the number 66866. Text NIW survey to six six eight six six, and we'll send you a link to take the survey. Now we're giving away 10 ten dollar Amazon gift cards at random from the Love pool it. of people who take this survey.
2: Just in time for Christmas, by the way.
1: Oh, that's exactly right. Yes, Merry Christmas!
2: A Merry Christmas to you. It's Christmas. Eve, I can't isn't believe it, baby? that we
1: went this long into the intro without me wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. It's my absolute favorite either. holiday. Oh my gosh. It's-
2: I don't think I knew that about you, but it's my favorite holiday too. Look at so, that. kindred spirits we'll have to s- sing man. jingle bells together one day.
1: Well, when we're here for the retreat, what we can do is we can dress up um, in old Victorian clothing, all of us, <laughs> and we can go around my neighborhood, even though it's yes. in January, and we can, we can carol. It'll be so great. People will be very I feel confused. Like- but it'll God be awesome. wants
2: us to do that. That seems really reasonable and right, David.
1: <laughs> tell us if it, you can give us that feedback on that survey. If you want, <laughs> you can tell us whether or not you think we should Carol. <laughs> we're giving away 10, $10 gift cards to Amazon um, if if you will, you know, in this pool of people. So it, please, we, we're trying to get to 100 submissions of this survey. We would love your help doing that because we feel like that would give us a good sample Definitely. of what you think about this podcast. It's so helpful. So we'd love to hear from you. Um also as a part of this just the same as any of the other episodes in this Surviving Abuse series we have a coaching spot that we want to make sure that you stick around for after the conversation with Jill Monaco.
2: She's so great.
1: So great. So great. She was featured on episode 126 of the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Um and she has a bonus episode out there that's available to our monthly partners.
2: Hey, so speaking of both the survey and the bonus episodes, I want to read one of the reviews that we've already received from the podcast survey because they mentioned the bonus episode ah, and it's a really really powerful one. So, here's what it says. This
1: is something we got from the survey. This is awesome.
2: I'm Isn't this cool? I can't wait to hear it. Okay. This is a Christmas gift to you, Davey. Oh man.
1: Um,
2: I love your ministry. It's been amazing to watch it unfold from the beginning and watch it grow. You continue to provide valuable content, practical wisdom, and true hope in your headphones. I sometimes feel like a broken record when I talk to my friends because I'm always telling them stories I have heard or lessons that have resonated from your podcast. I am so moved by each and every guest and honestly your heart behind everything you do. I can't help but tell others. It was a no-brainer to become a monthly partner. I have gained so much from the podcast. I can't imagine where I would be in my spiritual growth without it. very active in a local church, but this provides even more opportunities for growth. I'm so thankful for all you do. Keep up the excellent work.
1: Wow. Wow. Isn't that
2: encouraging? What that a is powerful so encouraging. review.
1: You know what? You know what would be an amazing gift, I think, to give to yourself and to give to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries is if you closed out 2020 by becoming a monthly partner. I think that'd be Absolutely. awesome. Because you would now immediately be- have access to all of this additional content, including uh, who we're going to hear from, Jill Monaco in this coaching spot. Um, and it's... Uh, it, you you you're partnering with us. That's the that's the cool thing about it. You're partnering with us to advance the mission of nothing is wasted. Yeah, that's helping people partner with God to take back their story. Um, this is uh, like it's it's only twenty dollars a month, twenty dollars a month, but it's a tax deductible donation. I love so that. Great. We're about to send to all of our monthly partners. We're about to send a statement to them saying, "Hey, thank you so much for giving uh, and partnering with us." It's gonna be awesome. So we'd love for you to do that. You can start a seven day free trial nothingiswasted.com dot com slash partners. Yeah. One of the things that we have not delved into really is this idea of what what do you do to support someone that you love mm. who is experienced, has experienced, or is experiencing abuse. Um, you know, this is this comes up quite a bit in people's stories. Um, maybe you know you've just heard from a loved one. Wow, this was this was part of their story, and you're trying to figure yeah. out how to support them along in the healing journey. Yeah. I'm not sure if you have any um, you know insight into that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think one of the things, uh, you know, the the most basic thing is the ministry of presence, right? That's it. Be yeah. there with the person as they're being vulnerable with you. Remind them that they're loved. Remind them that they're seen. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ right. Jesus. Right. Um, I, you know, I think that's like a no brainer. Like mm-hmm. you just be there. Um, I would say too there you may need to evaluate if this person is in a safe situation or an unsafe situation. And, uh, in some situations, it may be like, um, you call the domestic abuse hotline, which Mm. we'll give to you at the end of our episode today. Um, or you call the police in some situations, or you just say to your friend, Hey, if you need a place to stay, you come stay at my house. Mm -hmm. No questions asked. If you show up at my door, it is always open for you. You know, there have been times where Kevin has had to go stand in front of someone's house and say, you can't come in because we're caring for the safety of your wife. And hopefully the situation isn't that extreme, but I do think you have to be mindful of the woman's or the children's safety in situations of abuse. Absolutely. What about you, Davey? What do you think?
1: Well, I was just kind of thinking about it just in terms of, you know, being a safe person for Mm. someone to be able to, um, you know, download their trauma onto you. Um, So this is particularly in a situation where maybe they experienced it in the past and they're kind of for the first time telling you about it and how do you make sure that you are a safe person and you're present with them through the, you know, in the midst of it. Um, one of the things that my counselor really helped me with as Christy and I have kind of talked about our trauma with each other is asking this question. What do you need from me right now?
2: Oh, that's so good.
1: You know, cause sometimes someone's like, I just needs to really get it off their chest or, or vent. Sometimes people want advice on what yeah. they should do about it. Sometimes people want the, you to step in, but, one of the basic ways of being just a safe person is going, hey, I love you. I'm with you in this process. I want to be what you need from me right now. So can you, yeah. is there any, do you, do you have any idea? Do you know what you need right now? Do you know how I can help in that
2: way? What I love about that is it's, you're empowering the person too. Yeah. So you're not saying, here's what you need to exactly. do to someone who's already a victim. You're actually like allowing them to use their voice yep. to say what it is they need. That's really empowering.
1: So good. And to that point, As well, um, I would also say don't try to expedite somebody's healing journey. That's right. There there are times where you might, especially if you are walking the journey with somebody, you might be like, man, they should be further along Mm -hmm. in this. But there are layers and layers and layers and layers of trauma. And I can tell from my own healing journey, you can tell from your own healing journey, that there are times where you're you're like, man, I feel like I'm pretty far in this process. And then there are other times where you go... I just feel like I should be further along, like what's going on here? And so <laughs> right. part of just being a safe person walking with somebody is you not being the one to try to expedite it by imposing any kind of, you know, uh, process it, it, to yeah. them or, or idea or, you know, wisdom without them really asking or being receptive to it, let the Holy Spirit to do his thing and you That's just right. be there as, um, a, 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 as a support. To support, or what like the Holy imposing doing their lives. your
2: your timeline on them, that's like it. oh, yep. like you just said, oh, you should be here by now, or oh, you should have left this person by now, or oh, sometimes you do have to step back, and it's your own trusting the Holy Spirit, like yeah. okay, God is working. I'm going to keep right. praying. I'm going to keep being there, but I can't control the outcome of this. That's
1: exactly right. That's so good. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe that's another thing you can put in the survey. Is there anything that, as you are, you know, as you're walking with people, what are some ways that you support? Uh, other people, as they are, you know, how do you become a safe person for this? Yeah. Um, you can also share that with us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries on Instagram or at Davey Blackburn or at OBSAMP. Share that yeah. with us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, this conversation, as we close up the Surviving Abuse series, is, is with Carissa Gahan. And man, she, wow. Justin. Oh,
2: she is full of wisdom powerful. and vulnerability. So powerful. Yep. You're going to love Oof. it, listeners. Yes. So let's go ahead and take a listen to your conversation, Davey, with Carissa.
1: Carissa, it's so great to have you joining me on the podcast. Thanks for being a part of this conversation.
3: Thanks for having me here. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Well, um, I would love for our listener to just get a little bit of a context as to your life right now, your, your family, where you guys live, uh, what you do. And I'm sure that we're going to use that as a springboard to your story because your story is a really powerful one and one that many people could resonate with. Um, and I'm excited about them really hearing this because of the hope that you, that you've, um, found in your story. And so this is going to be awesome. Give us a little context as to your life right now first though.
3: Yeah, I am a mom of three. Uh we live up in Minnesota, up uh, in the Midwest. The cold, That's bitter, the, the long of winters. The <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh
1: man. Yes. Have you guys um, already gotten I, your first snow, I'm sure.
3: Oh yeah, like back in um October. But we don't have snow now, which is super weird because it's snow gonna be Christmas and we need snow. So. Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Snow in October. Yeah. Wow.
3: When wow. I moved here, I swore I'd never stay, and then I married a lifer, so we, <laughs> here we stay. Um, awesome. This year, I find myself homeschooling our three kiddos, so that has been um, an interesting journey, yeah. we'll call it that. Yeah. Um, wow. I work outside of the home as a cranial sacral therapist, mostly with um, babies, um, also help some people uh, walk through their trauma with, through having that body work and stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of a cool outlet for me um, wow. in helping people. Wow. But most days are just spent at home, mom and my three kids. Mm.
1: That's amazing. Uh, I unpack that for me a little bit. The, the, you said cranial sacral therapy.
3: Yes. Okay. Have you heard of this before? No, I haven't. No. Yeah. So it's a really cool body work um, that deals with the soft tissues um, in the body. So um, if you've ever read a book like uh, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah, absolutely. Or- yeah, we've
1: suggested yeah, so- that book multiple times on the podcast. Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. So that, that book is kind of the basis of what I do for work is as far as like the body remembering different traumas and things like that. And so, um, oftentimes when working with babies, we're talking about birth trauma or potentially trauma while in utero or anything like that. Um, that's a really fun, uh, uh, work that I get to do with all sorts of different people, but primarily babies, especially right now, there's a lot of babies that are working through some trauma after being bathed in some Stress hormones, just being pregnant yeah. during COVID, these mamas had to walk through um, a very difficult pregnancy oftentimes. So, right.
1: right. Yeah. Wow. What a, that, it's such a fascinating world. This one that I feel like I've just kind of gotten some, a window into a little bit. We did a little bit of research and study when Christy was pregnant with, um, with our now one year old um, of just like what trauma and stress can do in utero you know, Mm -hmm. and then the idea of like even traumatic birth and how those things mark us even at a very early age. It's really fascinating. And, um, uh, you know, I'm sure maybe we can pack, unpack some of that a little bit (laughs) as we, (laughs) as this conversation goes on, I'm very fascinated what you do, but you also have this, uh, intense story as well of your own personal trauma. And, um, and so I'd love for you to kind of take us back and story us along, um, talk to us about, uh, as as you were walking through your pain journey and then what the Lord has done in and through you uh, because of that.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I always like to start back from uh, childhood. Um, I grew up in church. Um, our family went to church faithfully. And uh, when my dad um He became very sick when I was young. Um, He was born with a congenital heart disease, and uh, he needed to have some surgeries. And anyways, he ended up passing away when I was 10. And through that, it was um, the church that actually rejected our family. And that was my first kind of um, trauma in my life, I would say. Like, my dad dying was super traumatic, and then followed with the rejection and pain of um, being rejected by our church family, which was the family I had only ever known well, um, this may
1: be like sensitive. You may not be, you may have to dance around a little bit, but can you explain a little bit about that rejection? What was the, what was the, yeah, reason absolutely. For that?
3: So my dad was a deacon in the church and my mom was kind of a youth leader. She helped out with the youth group and um, she wore too short of a skirt. I don't know if you remember oh, skorts, yeah. but they were oh, like yeah. shorts in the back and like right. a skirt in the front. Right. Um. And so all of my dad's friends who were the pallbearers at his funeral brought uh, my mom into a room. I think there was, you know, probably like six or seven men and the pastor and asked that our family leave the church. And this was nine months after they had buried my father. So um, the church hurt ran really deep, really quick at a really young age.
1: Man, absolutely. Wow. Okay. It must've been a, um, well at the time, I mean, this would have been, you know, a few decades ago, I'm sure. So it's, you know,
3: mm-hmm. this
1: is a really conservative church, I'm sure in a very, yeah. um, even more conservative time frame. Um, yes. Wow. Okay.
3: Very legalistic, you know, all of the things can celebrate all the things that are, you know, right. um, wrapped into being in a legalistic church. Yeah, so that absolutely. was kind of my like starting point of God, um, was kind of that basis of like legalistic and, um, authoritative. And, yeah. um, that was, yeah, my, my younger years of developing. So, um, that just gives a little basis of where I was coming from right. Was you know, Right. So anyways, um, after my father had passed away and we left that church, my mom ended up remarrying and we ended up moving um, to Missouri. So I grew up in Wisconsin and we moved to Missouri. And it was really, again, another trauma in my life that um, this was the only family I had known. All of my family lived up in Wisconsin. And so now I'm um, entering my freshman year of high school in this new town, uh, the super big school I was previously homeschooled and now going to be going to public school. And um, this world just opened up. I had I was so naive to all things um, worldly at the right. time. And um, I ended up being sexually abused for two years while living in Missouri. Um, and so through that process, I decided that my life was going to look like Um, my control. I was going to control my life and I was going to um, decide what I wanted to do. And so I just went all out wild and I started doing drugs and drinking and um, I wanted nothing to do with God except for, I call it my God box. And I say that I put God in a box because I knew that someday I was going to want him in my life because that was just a part of who I was, but he was not serving me The way that I wanted him to, he took my dad. um, He brought me into this abusive relationship. Um, My mom started drinking after my dad passed away, and so she struggled with alcoholism. And my life, as I knew it, as a small little you know little girl that was a small town girl, just completely exploded. And um, I decided instead of looking at these events and these situations that were happening, and these bad choices that people were making that were negatively affecting affecting my life I just looked at God and said you're a bad God mm. um yeah and so that was kind of the start of um, me looking at God again as like this bad bad God that wasn't taking right. care of me
1: right right so at this point you were how old then you're a teenager yeah I
3: okay was 14 15
1: mm-hmm. um can you maybe unpack a little bit of that you know at, what's going on in your heart during this time, you know, God, you're a bad God. So now I'm, you know, uh, is there any internal dialogue happening there with you? Did you feel at certain times that he was, you know, trying to, um, it felt like he was trying to kind of woo you back into relationship with him or anything, or is this just like, man, I'm, I'm done. I'm kind of going my own way. Um, what did this, you know, what would the, what was the internal dialogue happening inside of your heart?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I stayed in church. I okay. kept going to church. I kept going to youth group. Like I said, there was always that longing, that underlying longing that I, I knew I was a child of God. I never not believed in God. I just was had a really skewed idea of who he was. Um, and so he really Placed a lot of people in my life that looking back, you know, the hindsight is that they were there for a specific time for a specific reason for a specific person. And it's been kind of cool to be able to thank those people along the way as being the people who just loved me, even though I was pretty unlovable. Um, I was making some really poor choices. And Um, We ended up getting into a really great church down there. And there was youth leaders that, you know, like they had to have known I was coming to church high and they loved me anyways. And they, you know, arms wide open, welcomed me into that space. And that was pivotal for me to see that there are people in the church that can love the sinner, you know,
4: Yeah.
3: they didn't probably like what I was doing and nobody really confronted me um, by that, but they just loved me through that season of my life which yeah. was really awesome
1: that's really that's so um i think imperative to make that distinction what you just said right there they didn't they didn't necessarily confront you in this they just loved you through it and i think oftentimes mm-hmm. in church world and christianity uh in youth groups you know, we we quickly jump to that confrontation. We quick, quickly jump to, oh, well, we need to fix this thing about this person's life. We need to f- adjust this thing, or we need to call out this sin, or we need to. And I f- I find it really fascinating, um, and and also really important to to note and underscore that you you were just loved through this process, which probably mm-hmm. did more to um looking back on it, I would imagine did more for you to untangle this false view of who God was than if someone had called out your quote unquote sin, if someone had tried to fix you in that moment.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Because see, I was being abused at the time. Right. And so if anybody would have come to me and said, shame on you for getting drunk, yeah, I probably would have lashed out and said, you have no idea the hurt and pain that's going on in my life. Shame on you for coming at me. You know, it would have been this really, it would not have been well-received, especially just because I of the type of teenager I was, I was really, like I said, I wanted to make my own choices. And, um, you know, some of the, like the abuse, that wasn't a thing that I chose, but a lot of the other choices that I was making at the time were just really harmful to me. Um, but it was a part of the process. And um, I realized when I got out of the situation that this was just like your, the title, like this is not gonna be wasted. Mm-hmm. And I knew that from a really early on um, in my healing that God was gonna use this to help other people. And so that was really key for me to know very quickly that he showed that to me yeah, yeah. Um, because that was really the springboard to my healing.
4: Wow.
1: It's the holiday season, which for many of us can be the hardest time of the year, whether you've lost a loved one, or you've gone through a betrayal, or your life doesn't look how you thought it would this year, or maybe you're just weary from the toll that 2020 has taken on us, wherever you find yourself as we head into the holidays, we want to provide you with as many helpful resources as we can. We're able to do this because of the support of our generous, nothing is wasted donors, Your donations go to support our podcast, our pain-to-purpose course, our community groups, coaching scholarships, the ministry, and the healing of thousands of lives. To give back to our donors, we created our Nothing is Wasted partner program. When you make a recurring monthly tax-deductible donation to our monthly partner program of $20 a month or more, you can access resource-driven content that goes above and beyond the normal conversations on our podcast. As a donor, you can access monthly mini-bonus episodes with past guests, commentaries about episodes, bonus teachings, live Q&As, have first access to Nothing Is Wasted announcements, discounts to Nothing Is Wasted coaching, and other bonus content we release periodically. As you give to Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, let us give back to you. To find out more information about this program, sign up for it, or to start a seven-day free trial Head over to nothingiswasted.com dot com slash partners. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com dot com slash partners. Now back to our interview. You know, I think this also. You know, because as a as a pastor, we I, we've experienced this so many times where you have these conversations where, you know, maybe someone comes to church, starts to get start to get involved, and you're. Um, you're watching certain behaviors or you're seeing certain patterns in someone's life. And there's really always a story behind the story. And Mm -hmm. it's so important for us um, as people, as people who are following Jesus to try to put our, you know, Jesus glasses on and go, okay, let's kind of see what's actually happening behind the story. Let's approach this with empathy. If there's a behavioral issue that's happening right here, it's probably because there's some pain that's going on and there is there there is a way that this person is trying to cope with manage you know suppress that pain and yeah. and it's being manifested right now in some of these you know behaviors that are uh less than desirable so so to speak and so and it's just so important and that begins to inform us being able to you know the patterns of how we how we love people through this you know mm-hmm. as opposed to just calling out the sin or Creating judgments or anything like that. Yeah. So,
3: and I think those conversations too with somebody that's early on in the church and they're just starting to understand who God is and where they fit yeah. into his story, than somebody who's been in church for a long time and has shown that they are firm believers that, you know, oh, maybe it is time that we kind of call them out on a behavior that we didn't used to see, but now they're exhibiting. Like, mm. there's a difference in those two things for sure.
1: Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So you, you know, you're in this abusive relationship, you start resorting to drugs, and alcohol, and you're, but you, all the while you're going to church. So wh- talk to me a little bit about what happens next.
3: Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. I was actually at a party one night and, um, the person who was abusing me must have said something because I never really talked about this. I didn't, people didn't know. But this person found out. um, And he approached me at this party. And he was like, I'm going to take you home. I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to, you know, get you out of this situation. And I was like, shocked, you know, what are you talking about? Um, And it was a really weird conversation. But I was like, there was part of me that was like, hopeful, like, Mm -hmm. wow, I'm gonna get help. Again, I was just a kid. And um, he ended up driving me home. But on the way home, he actually also sexually abused me. Um, And the next morning, he came to my house and picked me up and said, we're going to the clinic. Um, And he brought me to an abortion clinic. And um, they he said this, she needs uh, the abortion pill. And at the time, I was so in shock. And, you know, looking back at it again, there's always that hindsight of things I could have done or said, but um, I didn't even know that I had a choice to say no. And the thing that really irks me about that part of my story is that you know, we have I'm married to my husband, we have three children together, and every single time we went into the hospital to deliver a baby, when he would leave the room, a nurse would come in and ask me if I was in a safe relationship and if I was okay at home yet as a 15-year-old walking into an abortion clinic with somebody who was not my age, he was much older than I was, nobody asked if I was safe, if this was what I wanted. Mm. Um, And so that part of my story, I just look at that and I get so angry for um, all of the girls that have to walk through these things and there's no protection for them. Um, Wow.
1: At that young of an age... Did you even have language or like, were you able to put a label on this? Were, were you cognizant of like, yeah, I'm, I'm in an abusive relationship or was this, was it something that kind of just felt like, oh, well, this, this is normal or maybe this is how it's supposed to be or, you know, especially I'm just curious as to like, you know, being such a, such a young girl at that time period and kind of getting swept up in this in a lot of ways and almost feeling like you didn't have choices in it. You know, what was, what was the label you were putting on it if you were at all?
3: Yeah. So that is a really complicated part of that is that when you're in an abusive relationship for two years, it is a relationship yeah. and it doesn't, there's, there's parts of that relationship that make you think that you're loved and that right. you're being cared for, but then there's parts of the relationship that feel really awful and I knew part of me knew that something was wrong because there would be moments where I would try and hide from this person physically, Mm -hmm. like I would hide. Um, And I would be found. And in that moment of being found, I would be scared. But then because people who abuse people are very manipulative and there's that, you know, cycle of gaslighting. um, So that was kind of Another thing that in in my healing, I had to unpack, like, did I choose this? Was this really what I wanted for my life? Or was this really um, somebody abusing me and yeah. putting that on me? Because yeah. you think like, oh, for two years, that's ridiculous. You should have gotten out of this. But it's really not that it's cut not and dry. It's not simple. that easy. Absolutely. Um, especially when you're young, you don't know. Right. right. And it's scary because they're telling you, like, don't tell anybody this, right. that you will be in trouble. And... Um, those are really harmful things to tell a young girl because, um, I didn't want to be in trouble or looked at, like I was doing something wrong. And so not saying anything was kind of the only choice for sure.
1: Wow. Okay. So he takes you to this, uh, you know, abortion clinic and, you know, and, and, and you you have this, well, I guess you didn't really have a decision or it didn't feel like you had a decision to make right there. So what, what happens from here?
3: Yeah, so they gave me the pill. Uh, I swallowed it there and they gave me a paper bag and said, take this in the morning. And I went home, I took it in the morning. I had no idea what what was gonna happen. I don't recall anybody telling me any side effects or anything that would happen to me. Um, and so for the next three days, I laid in my bed bleeding and sick and ill. And I didn't know, I was like, I hope this is normal because I'm not about to go tell my mom that I just took an abortion pill. Um, and it wasn't actually for like almost 20 years later that I came to this realization, um, that there could have been life there. I suppressed that completely and it didn't ever occur to me. And it was God's in God's goodness that he didn't reveal that to me until I was able to handle that. But, um, that's just a really interesting part again, with like how your brain and body receives trauma Um, and how like healing through that trauma and how things can come up and, um, talked about the story many times and never made that connection. I I was so disassociated from that, that I never made the connection that there could have been life there. And so that was definitely something that, um, I had to heal from as well, for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, I know at some, you know, at some point in this conversation, especially given what you, what you do for a living, as much as you work with you know, people in trauma, even though many times it's, you know, babies and trauma in utero or, or in delivery and stuff, you're very educated on the idea of trauma, not just from your own experience, but from working with others. And so I want to talk a little bit about how to untangle the trauma. Um, But, you know, at this point in your story, you are, you've just essentially had an abortion and now, you know, you're, you're okay. What? All right. The next, now everything's, Everything's good. What happens from here?
3: So from there, we ended up actually moving from Missouri to Minnesota. So um, my stepdad got a job in Minnesota and it took us out of that situation. And I was able to get away from that abuse. Um, And moving here was, again, another it was another really big life change. But it was like the saving grace of my Mm -hmm. story where my healing started, Um, although I didn't know that at the time that that was A healing to get out of that. But it was really here where I met good people. Um, Again, I got connected with a good church and um, people in school. It was a really small school that I moved to. On my first day as a junior, I walked in and Someone's like, you must be the new girl. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, here we go. Um, but there was teachers who cared. There was teachers that took time to talk to me and, um, wanted to help me because I was way behind in school. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you're dealing with that level of manipulation and abuse, school really is not a priority. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I went on to college and I decided that I was going to continue just to be wilded. And I really still was not ready for God. He was just, he was an idea. He was something I did on Sunday, but the rest of the week, you know, I was living for me and for what I wanted to do with my life. Um, And somewhere along the way, between the time that I started being abused till the time I got into, I would say my senior year, I decided that my worth was in the people that I was dating. It was in the men that were telling me I was worthy. And I just kept seeking to find that. Um, I think that it has part to do with the fact that my father died when I was really young and I really wanted a man to tell me that I was beautiful and tell me that he loved me. But also because, again, at a young age, I was taught that, by having sex with someone, this is how you show them that you love them. And so Mm. it was a lot of really bad relationships. And I would say, um, that there was a lot of poor decisions and a lot of, um, after I would say my senior year, I was choosing to enter into these sexual relationships that were just not healthy. Yeah.
1: Wow. You know, you've, you've spent a lot of time since then really kind of unpacking this, um, but at this point in your story, I'm I'm curious uh, as to, you know, you just acknowledged, yes, I made a lot of poor decisions in this. And yet those poor decisions were rooted in a deeply set identity that was based on your value and your worth being put in men that you dated. And it's because mm-hmm. of some trauma that you experienced. So there's definitely some interwoven, intertangling complexity within that doesn't, of course, you know, in these things, when we make decisions, doesn't absolve us from the decisions or even the consequences of those decisions. But how did you begin to parse those things out later where you go, okay, yeah, I made these decisions, but also understanding that these decisions were because of this right here. And how do I take responsibility for the decisions I made and also heal from the stuff that was done to me that were ultimately the a major cause of some of those decisions? You know, can you kind of dialogue about that and where those, where one one ends and one begins?
3: Yeah. So when I was in college, I met my now husband, and uh, we got pregnant after we were dating for about a year. Um, super unplanned, obviously. He was like this all-star baseball player in college, and he had a really great career in, in baseball going for him. And I was... I knew
1: you know, I liked getting... your husband. I know it was before... <laughs> Baseball, we're good. Everything. Yeah, good, right? exactly.
3: Exactly. <laughs> for sure. Um, and so, and I was going to get uh, my teaching degree actually mm-hmm. at the time and um, life was good, but then I got pregnant and it was almost instantly. I was like, I call my daughter, my saving grace, mm-hmm. because I was still, even though my husband at the time was my boyfriend was actually a loving person, I was still making really bad choices. I was still partying. I was still living for myself. And and I always knew that, that the choices were bad, but I didn't care. It was like, no. I just was living for me. And I just really wanted to do that. And I just fed my flesh way more than I should have. Um, but after we found out we were pregnant, it was almost instantly I was like, I have to get healthy for this child. Like, I can't bring a child into this mess that I've made for myself, um, into these toxic relationships that I've had, um, not just with men, but with, you know, friends and all of the people that you collect along the way of that, having that sort of lifestyle. Yeah. And so it was kind of my daughter who started me uh, to project it. She was the launching board to really going after God fiercely and wanting to know who he actually was.
1: Hmm. Wow. So did you, was this like a progressive journey or did you have this like instantaneous moment where you're like kind of a come to Jesus moment or how did that, how did that journey uh, unfold?
3: It was both, I I would say, because okay, unpack, I, unpack
1: that because that's most people yeah. it's like there's this both and type deal. Yeah, love to hear it.
3: absolutely, and I love living in both and. It's yeah, a really right. like radical thing in this day and age, but like that's <laughs> where my sweet spot is. Yeah. Um, I knew right away that I wanted to, um, like be back in church and and be back with the Lord and be in fellowship with other believers. But I also had that legalistic um tendency embedded in me that I could not go to church without a ring on my finger. And so we me and my husband at the time boyfriend, we stopped having sex when we found out we were pregnant. We were going to, you know, wait until we were married and and we decided that that was what we were going to do and he was raised Catholic and so um this idea of like having a relationship with God, I would have these conversations with him and he was just like, "What do you mean?" You know, he couldn't kind of understand it, what I was talking yeah. about, but I just tell him like, I just, I'm just, des- I'm longing for this, but you know, looking back again, I wish I could tell my younger self, like go to church without that ring on your finger, mm. like go find those people, but I just couldn't do it. And so yeah. Um, we didn't get end up getting married until my daughter was 18 months old. And we got married in August. And um, like that first Sunday in September, we were in church and the like third Sunday in September, we got into a small group. And I knew that because we had a child before um, we were married and all of the decisions that I made that the statistics were against us. And I knew that I needed to do something to safeguard our marriage. And I needed healthy people in my life. And Where else do you find that of people who are collectively trying to live a better life than in a body of believers?
1: Hey friends, Davey here. At this point, we've seen hundreds of people find healing from their trauma, reset their faith foundations, and move through their valley with a renewed sense of purpose, all because of our Pain to Purpose course. This is exactly what our hope and prayer for this course has been all along. We want as many people as possible to keep finding healing like this, so for the month of December, we want to give our Nothing is Wasted podcast listeners a gift. That's right, that's you. Are you ready for this? We're knocking $50 off the price of the course. This 11-part video course is designed to walk you step-by-step through and out of your valley and into a life of renewed purpose and impact. You can take this course at your own pace online, in one of our Nothing is Wasted community groups, or with the help of one of our certified guides. This could be a great Christmas gift for a friend or a loved one who's going through a particularly difficult time this holiday season. If you're interested in taking advantage of this offer of $50 off, text N I W NIWGIFT to 66866. Again, that's NIW gift. NIW, like nothing is wasted. Gift. NIW gift to the number 66866. So pause this episode right now, text the number, and we'll be waiting for you when you come back. So, yeah, you begin running after the Lord. And, um, but I'm sure in the process of that, he begins to bring things up, especially, you know, your past trauma, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. once we put our life in Jesus's hands, it's amazing because there's, you know, there's this wholeness and there's this joy, uh, almost instantaneous, but then there's, in some respects, there's a little pain too, because he begins putting his finger on certain things in our life. He begins to bring back to our attention traumas that we've experienced, things that have gone unaddressed, because he loves us so much.
4: Because mm-hmm. he's like,
1: hey, I want to I work through these things with you, and I want to you know, kind of get these things out of you. We talk a lot, a lot of times about God freeing the people, like getting them out of Egypt, but then it took some time to get Egypt out of them. Because yeah. if he doesn't get that out of us, then we're going to go back to it you know? Mm-hmm. And so talk to me a little bit about that journey. That's now been this long journey where you've begun to untangle this trauma and you're doing this work mm-hmm. with the Lord. And I'm so curious as to how that, that, pro- that progression happened.
3: Yeah. It's so funny because, um, looking back on that, um, my daughter, uh, oldest is 12 now. Um, so 12 years
1: essentially. Yeah.
3: 12 years. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like our children of, uh, so oftentimes bring us to these places, yeah. you know, where we need to <laughs> grow and heal and yep. learn and all mm-hmm. of these things. And so it's really funny because I feel like that is why I'm very passionate about working with babies and young moms is because that was when my healing started really mm. is I got pregnant and I was like not living for myself anymore. And so, um, there was definitely a lot of counseling. I had a lot of um, physical reactions to yeah, like
1: triggers and um, stuff.
3: Yep, absolutely. And I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know why when my very loving at the time boyfriend would come and put his arm around me that I would just like have these big, huge responses and feel a physical response. I had no idea what, what that was or why I felt that way. Like, I love this man. He loves me. He takes good care of me. He respects me, but yet I'm having these responses. And so, um, I did end up going to, um, counseling for quite a while and I ended up just opening up to people about it and sharing that. And most of the time people had no clue Mm. that this was a part of my story because there's a lot of shame around it. There's a lot of, um, things that you don't want to tell people because it, it does when you're first starting to talk about it, kind of feel like there's peanut butter in your mouth. You don't really know what to say.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, you know, uh, there's probably so many people who are listening to this and they're experiencing quote unquote triggers, maybe Mm -hmm. some very similar to the one you experienced, you know, where they feel this like visceral reactions, physical, the yeah. quickening of their heart, this like ah, I'm not safe, you know. But mm-hmm. it's so almost instinctive. It's it's so mm-hmm. innate. They, they 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 don't even know where it came from. Um, what were if you can get really granular, help me understand how that began to subside. You know, I know you you just said like counseling, but what was it about counseling and maybe some of these other some other things that you haven't mentioned or something that begin to cause that to subside? Because now if your, if your husband puts his arms around you, do you, ha- you have that reaction now? You don't as much? Or? Not,
3: necess- not necessarily, but part of that is that we had to have those conversations of like, you cannot come up behind me and just like put your arm around me. Okay, like, I need yeah. to know that your, your presence is here. I need to right. know that you're coming. Um, uh, like, please come at me from the front. So I don't, it's not a surprise. And yeah. so If he were to do that, I'm sure there still would be a response because it's it's in that trauma will always be a part of Mm. my my story, and so um, I guess we haven't really like tried to do that because he's just so respectful. Now he's
1: more aware Um, of that too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
3: So there was a book that uh, was really key in helping us on our journey called Allies and Healing. Uh, My husband read that book to understand. Um, the complexities of what it looks like to be with somebody who has survived um, sexual abuse. That was a really, really good book. And then I also read a book that I think the name is between the sheets. It's a Christian book. And the best advice that I ever got from that book was when you're feeling those responses come up in you, just pray and just bring the Lord into that moment and just say, Lord, I do not like the way I'm feeling I know I'm safe. I know I'm loved. Just telling him like the things that you know to be true and just allowing his peace and his presence to overtake that. And over time, it it, it took a while and it was awkward at first, but over time, it it works almost instantly now. Wow. Whereas if if I'm in a situation with my husband and I'm, I feel that way, I can just pray it right away and be like, Lord, I'm safe with my husband. Like he is here with me um, this is my husband. It's like, I have to tell myself in my brain, like you're in a safe spot, even all these years later. And it, it really does help a lot. So those were kind of my, um, my biggest, uh, helping tools, I guess, along the journey.
1: Wow. That's, I mean, that's an amazing resource because I've often wondered, you know, yes, there's books out there for people who they themselves, they've dealt with trauma or they're dealing with trauma, but, a lot of times there's not a lot of resources for the people who are around them, who love them, who, who mm-hmm. are like, Hey, I'm not, I, I'm, I want to empathize. I want to understand. I want to walk with you in this healing journey. I just don't know how, um, mm-hmm. because I don't understand, you know, maybe you haven't experienced the same kind of level of trauma. Um, you know, my story with, with my wife now, we have very different types of trauma. You know, I mm-hmm. kind of categorize mine of losing my late wife as a big T trauma And Christy categorizes her trauma as lots of little T traumas. And so Mm -hmm. we've had to learn to kind of understand each other and the nuances of those traumas. Um, And so a resource like that would be, would be so helpful for someone who's going, I really want to, but I just, I don't understand. And I, I need to, I need to educate myself on this a little bit. That's great. Yeah,
3: absolutely. And it was really helpful too, to when I was ready, tell him, things that had happened to me. That was really scary because I wanted to protect his feelings because he had a lot of anger toward my abuser.
0: Yeah. Um, And
3: so Mm. I wanted to protect those feelings of anger. I didn't want him to be more angry, but Mm. that was really helpful when I was ready and he was ready to have those conversations about what I had experienced. And um, Mm. that was another really important part of our healing journey, just to, so that I could tell somebody that it was safe, yeah. and it was it was really good for both of us.
1: Chris, maybe not, but I'm curious. Was there any part of you that felt satisfied that your husband had anger toward your abusers? Yes. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. So while yes. you were still trying to protect him from being angry, it still it yes. made you you also felt like, oh, like almost almost vindicated in some ways.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes yeah because there was a few people who were in support of my abuser, oh, um wow, and so yes, having him be in support of me and and share that anger yeah um of the things that he stole from me where yeah. it was it was a good thing for us to share yeah. <laughs> definitely
1: that's so good. I think that's those are the kinds of things that um god they're gifts from the Lord to give us insight into who he is. You know, while your husband would never be able to measure up to, you know, the greatness of God. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's Jesus in him. There's that characteristic of Jesus in him that rises up in defense and says, Oh, I'm, I am not happy about this.
4: And Mm -hmm. I think it's so
1: important to remember that about God, that, that he is a just God Mm
4: -hmm. that he
1: Uh, that he is not happy about his children being abused in any way by anybody. I think that's so important for if you're in a situation where you're being abused right now to remember God Mm -hmm. loves you. He sees you. He is just as broken and upset about this as, as you are. And, um, and I believe wholeheartedly he is making plans behind the scenes to, um to, to help to help you in this.
3: Yeah, that actually goes into my um verse that is just like the solid rock of of what I say to myself when I need um to be reminded of that is um Ephesians one, four through five that says, even before he made the world, God loved us and Mm -hmm. chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Um, This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. He like receives pleasure from us. And it just, that verse just tells us like, we're known by him or wanted by him and we're loved by him. And that has just been pivotal in my healing just Telling telling myself that over and over and over again. Well, finding who I am in Christ and finding that identity in him.
1: Yeah. Let let me kind of camp here for just a second. And then I'd love to talk about that identity stuff, because that's something you really major on now, is working mm-hmm. through, you know, how to live out of our identity in Christ. But I'm really curious in your healing process, if there were some other things that your husband did, whether Advert, inadvertently or, you know, whether intentionally he, he did to really help you, um, see a picture of God, you know, that, that began to help you in your healing or, or were there some things that he did to really support you in your healing journey that were imperative for your healing? As you look back and you're like, man, if my husband had not done this, and I ask you that question because there may be people again out there, loved ones who are like, I want to know how to support. I want to know how to help. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you could give some insight, if you were teaching a workshop right now to those who are supporting allies, you know, mm-hmm. for for supporting those who are being abused, what would you say? How would you uh, encourage them?
3: I think very practically when I came to him and said, we need to abstain from sex until we are married. Um, mm. I don't know a lot of men that would have done that, especially yeah. because we had been together for so long and that was a part of our relationship. Um And even after we got married, there were times where I was going through certain parts of my healing that I had to ask him that again. Like, I really need to abstain from this right now because it's really just triggering me. um, And I love you too much to be in that place while we are being intimate. And so that was just a very practical thing. Never questioned it. Always respected it. Um, And so that has been, I think, the biggest impact. For sure, because Mm -hmm. I know that he's sacrificing something in that for me because he loves me so much. He is sacrificing something because he knows that it's for my best interest. Um, And now that we're married, obviously, I don't tell people like long periods of time, like that's not healthy either. But when it's, you know, for a specific purpose and a specific time period for a specific reason, it can be very healthy.
1: Yeah. Well, and how amazing, you know, like if I were sitting across from, from a guy in a counseling session and the, and a, a husband were to come to me and say, I'm struggling, man. Cause you know, this is what my wife just asked me, uh, you know, to abstain from sex for a little while because she's struggling with some, you know, some trauma from her past and I don't know what to do. You know, I would, I would tell him like, Hey, sex is not about you. <laughs> In fact, the beauty of sex is that this is a, this is a, a giving and serving thing. Mm -hmm. And the best way that you can help her feel safe and loved and served is by doing that with no contest. And I actually would encourage him watch. I wonder if she will be more, feel more safe, more intimate and more apt then to engage with you in, in intimacy and sexual Mm -hmm. activity if you give her this space, if you allow her to have this, you know, and, and I, I imagine that's probably the kid what you've seen unfold in your own relationship, yeah. and what an amazing thing that he, you know, removed himself from the selfishness of it and said, yeah, mm-hmm. whatever you need to make to make you feel safe, that's that's what I want to do. That's love. That's Jesus right there.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Wow. Um, he's
3: a good guy. <laughs> he's one of the good ones. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Was was, hope It's encouragement was, for folks out there.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There are good men out there.
1: Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, now you really like to help people, um, live in their identity in Christ and untangle some of these, um, Identity crises that they have growing growing up or or because of trauma because of because that 's what happens when we have trauma in our life, whether it 's something that 's been done to us or something that we do or a combination of both, as you 've articulated in your story, we begin to live out of a a, a false identity a, an identity that 's mm-hmm. not rooted in Christ, an identity that essentially is and we 're making other things idols in our lives where we go to for coping mechanisms for worship ultimately. And so Mm -hmm. what, what, what did it look like for you as you're going, okay, now I've got to begin to really root my identity in Christ and detach my identity from these other things.
3: I think for me, it was just knowing who he was because I had this idea that he was this bad God Mm -hmm. and I needed to know because I felt his love at different points throughout my life. And so I needed to know what that actually looked like. What is his love? What does, his, what does the Bible say about who he is? And so going on that journey to find out who God actually is. And like you had just said, you know, he gets angry when his children are harmed. And so like learning these things about God was kind of where it started and um, just reading the Bible um not a devotional but like reading the bible and what the scripture says and getting into the verses was really helpful yeah. in understanding who he was um and who i am in him there are so many things that we can put our identity in and my you know primary focus is women and young women because the world is screaming at them about what their identity should be in whether it be clothing or makeup or their job or yeah. You know, whatever thing it is, you can open social media and they're here's what you should be all over the place. Um, And so just directing them to who they are in Christ and that they're loved and that they're precious and that they're made whole in him is a big passion of mine. Wow.
1: That's awesome. Um, Would you say that learning who God is, is a like cognitive thing, an intellectual thing, Is it an experiential thing? Is it a combination of both? What what does that look like?
3: Yeah, for me, it was definitely a combination of both. And like cognitively, that That was a
1: soft toss. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah there's a baseball reference co- for,
1: for your husband right there i was like, yeah, there <laughs> like i hope she's gonna say the, uh, the there's no right or wrong answer but but really uh, that's what right. i've experienced too is a combination of both but anyways go ahead go ahead
3: absolutely yeah no yeah. it was cognitively understanding yeah. who he was and then um feeling what that looked like and oh, oftentimes that was people that had you know walking out, putting legs on their faith and being Jesus with skin. Um, That looked like people supporting us in our marriage when we were financially struggling that, you know, they didn't even know. And they showed up on our door with $500 in an envelope. They had no context. You know, it was just our small group from a church here. We felt like you needed this. It's like those tangible moments of seeing God and saying, there's no other way. There's no other explanation other than God prompting them and them being obedient in that yep. prompt and being Jesus with skin on. Um, so it was definitely both for me.
1: Wow. That's so good. That's such a, such an encouragement and a challenge to the church, the body of Christ, right? Everybody who's listening to this, who is a believer, you are a part of the body of Christ and you get promptings all the time. Some mm-hmm. of them, we are so subtle because we've like dismissed and numbed the voice of God so much. When you get a prompting, I would encourage you to do it because you have no idea on the other side mm-hmm. of that prompting, the wrestling that somebody is having where they're questioning yeah. or they're doubting God and you're following through on that prompting might be the very thing that unlocks this new revelation of who God is that helps them to understand who God is because you're being Jesus with, with skin on, I mean, you are yeah. the hands and feet of Jesus. And now they're experientially uh, learning who God actually is because of what you're doing um, to support and provide and, and all of those things. That's amazing.
3: Wow. Yeah. And then I think also too, as being on the recipient end of that is acknowledging that that was God. That was God. Yep. I think that, I think that, you know, people get really weirded out by that for some reason, like, <laughs> Oh, it was just, it was just a blessing, but like, where did the blessing come right, from? Right. God, you know, it's so both obeying the, the prompting and, you know, receiving that in the you know context of like God gifted this yeah. to you.
1: Yeah. That's what I love about the journey of untangling trauma in our lives is that as we, you know, scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12 to not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Well, the world's pattern wants us to stay stuck and paralyzed in the patterns of our trauma, Mm -hmm. right? The responses, the behaviors, all the things that are in trauma, um, elicits in us. And it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, first of all, it tells me renewing, that's a process. It's going to take some time right we're going to be transformed over some time but the way that we do that is by um knowing right intellectually understanding deconstructing the false beliefs that we have about god who we've created him into be to be and then reconstructing through god's word who he really is and then simultaneous to that it's almost like god will bring us into experiences and circumstances that begin to prop up those things that really galvanizes what we're learning Mm -hmm. so that like what you said, takes it from our head to our heart
4: Mm because you do have
1: to feel it. You know, Yeah. if you have an emotionally laden trauma, you have to have an emotionally laden healing experience. Mm -hmm. And that's what the Lord is so gracious in doing where he brings the Holy spirit into the whole mix of everything. And he ministers to our hearts circumstantially, Mm -hmm. emotionally in ways that nobody else could. Absolutely. So cool. So cool. So, um, now, uh, you know, you, you have lots of different things that you're doing, but how would you say you have, you know, what we love to hear is just how people are repurposing their pain. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what would you say is like, okay, now this is my goal. This is what I'm trying to do to repurpose, uh, repurpose this and help other people through it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So prior to COVID, I was uh, working with a pregnancy resource center I was going into public schools. And talking to students from the like 7th grade through 12th grade about healthy relationships. Hmm. And we would talk to them about sex and we would answer their questions. And um, students want to know, like yeah. they want to know what a healthy relationship looks like yeah. um, and they oftentimes don't. Um, they're not modeled it, they're not told it. And that was for me, I was modeled healthy relationships. But I was never told what a healthy relationship should look like. I was never told what the difference between infatuation and love was, I was never told any of these things. And so when I got into this relationship, I didn't really know, you know, that this was not healthy. And so um, I have a passion for students and talking to them about Those types of things, and so the program that I would speak on was um, the heart program was health education and relationship training. So it was was very practically training students and, you know, telling them what the warning signs are of an abusive relationship. And um, I talked to 700 students last year, and you know, more often than not, and it wasn't an abstinence talk because I want to empower students to make that choice. I can't make them that choice for them. I can empower them with statistics and, you know, the emotional impact and the physical impact and how it can impact your body. But they ultimately are the ones making this choice. And, um, almost every single time there a student was either i hadn't made a de- decision about what i was going to do about sex or but then they would change and say i'm waiting for sex until later on in life or wow. i'm currently secti- sexually active but now with this new information that you've told me like i'm going to remain sex uh, you know until later on in life mm-hmm. they were going to um, withhold from having sex and so that's really my big goal is to just um, empower people because i feel like if they have the knowledge they can make the the good choices um that are healthy and that are gonna not impact them for the next year, but for the next 10 years. And, you know, really talk a lot about goals and what are your goals for um the next 10 years? How are you gonna reach those goals? Is this gonna help you in your reaching your goals or is it gonna hold you back? And so that was kind of my heart is um speaking to speaking to the youth is where I've kind of taken that and awesome. kind of brought it all together yeah. and speaking to youth groups and. Wow.
1: That. Well, what a great platform and what a great opportunity to step into, you know, youth groups and schools and, you know, different spaces that are all along a different spectrum, you know, whether it's mm-hmm. like um, in, in, in opportunities that are very open to hearing about faith and then other opportunities that are more quote unquote secular environments where you're still able mm-hmm. to share truth mm-hmm. Um, packaged mm-hmm. in a different way, you know. All truth is God's Although, truth.
3: I will say that the churches are harder to get into. Isn't that crazy? They are, they are really resistant to mm-hmm. wanting to speak mm-hmm. to their kids about this stuff.
1: Wow, wow, it's
3: tough, man.
1: That's interesting. I we we're going to let that just sit with everybody who's listening mm-hmm. to this. Just let that be attention yeah. te- a, a right there. Um, mm-hmm. And and yet we should be leading the conversation, shouldn't we? As the church, we should be leading the conversation about this. Unfortunately for way too long, we've been suppressing this conversation
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and that's probably why a lot of the reason why we are seeing, uh, some of the damage that we're seeing right now, because we're not having the conversation.
2: Absolutely.
1: Um, So, man, wow. Carissa, thank you so much for spending time with us that your story is unbelievable. And we're just, I'm so grateful for the journey that God has you on, um, and, and has brought you through and, um, where can our listeners follow you and find out more about what you're doing.
3: I am on Instagram at, um, all.her.heart. And I have a website, allherheart.com. Those are the two places I mainly hang out.
1: That's awesome. Well, survive that cold up in Minnesota. (laughs) It's
3: coming. I know it's coming. The long (laughs) winter's coming. Oh
1: man. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you so much. I
3: appreciate the opportunity to share my story. I really appreciate it a lot.
2: Thank you so much to Krista Mm -hmm. for sharing her story. It was absolutely powerful. Mm -hmm. And I love what she's doing in the world now, like in schools and even with these babies, the fact that she's um, taking... What could be trauma or what actually is trauma, but then being a a voice of healing and a person of healing wherever she goes, I think it's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely nothing is wasted, isn't it? it? Yep, it sure is. I want to share the domestic violence hotline with the listeners. Um, It offers support and ideas. If you are going through domestic violence or if you know someone who is, it is 1-800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. I have had to call it in the past. It is... um, confidential Mm -hmm. it is easy and it is well worth taking the time even if you just have questions about domestic violence it's a really great resource hey we have our resident coach here with us today jill monaco she has some beautiful things to say with a voice like butter (laughs) right (laughs) beautiful things to say about this episode Uh, and so i would love to go ahead and listen to her
4: I'm so grateful for people like Carissa, who are brave enough to share not only their story, but their testimony. I'm going to assume that there are some of you that are still holding the secrets of the abuse. And so today, I just want to comment just briefly on the different kinds of abuse and what it looks like to heal, especially from triggers. So in abuse, when there is physical abuse, there's often psychological, emotional, and in some instances, spiritual abuse. So when you've gone through any of those kinds of abuses, you're going to have some sort of lasting impression on you. The experiences you have often have emotions and thoughts attached to them. And when your emotions and your thoughts and your experience all tell you a certain story, In the future, when something similar looks like it's going to happen or might happen, your brain goes back to giving you the information you need to be safe. And it actually may not be anything like what happened to you before. And this cycle of emotions and thoughts and and experiences together creates something that we call triggers. It actually triggers you to have the same feelings, the same thoughts or a response to keep you safe. Everybody responds to trauma differently. So if you are someone that has gone through psychological, physical, emotional, or spiritual abuse, I first want to tell you that your experience is valid. The emotions you have, the thoughts you have, you're not crazy. There is something that your brain has done to protect you, And I believe that is so beautiful, that God has wired us in a way that we can survive. But I believe God wants us to thrive. And I'm going to give you some simple tips on how I believe God can help you do that. But I'm going to say this first. God wants to heal you. God wants to help renew your mind. He wants to heal your heart and your emotions. He actually wants to take that experience and rewrite your story. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And for those of you who have been abused, fear is a pretty consistent thing in your life. And the only way to cast out fear, to drive fear away, is to embrace his perfect love, And if you were like Carissa, you probably have engaged in some unhealthy behaviors and coping mechanisms in order to dull your pain. But here's a verse that I love. His kindness leads us to repentance. God knows why we sin and why we're doing it. He understands. He has compassion for us beyond our understanding. And because of that, I believe he wants you to be compassionate with yourself, too. So I'm gonna give you a few tips on how to work through a situation when you've been triggered. And the first thing is, we want to respond the way God responds. And sounds easier said than done. But if God is compassionate towards us, then we need to be compassionate towards ourselves. Now, there's a lot of different ways that I coach clients through how to be compassionate towards themselves. It depends on really what happened to you And what the most common negative thought is, how do you accuse yourself? Do you say, you're so stupid. You let that happen. You knew better. If you're having those kinds of thoughts, I want you to flip it and say, I did my best. I am not stupid. I am smart. And with God, flip the story, change it, rewrite your story, and have your thoughts agree with God's thoughts. But you can't do that unless you're compassionate with yourself. Secondly, I suggest you put your hand on your heart. What is going on in your heart? What emotions are you feeling? What thoughts are you thinking? Get in tune with what's going on inside of you. And one of the best ways to do that is to say, God, What am I afraid of? What's happening right now? Will you tell me what lie I'm believing about you, about the situation, about that person, about myself? Discover the lie that's going on in your heart that's causing you fear, and then ask him, what is the truth? Third, you might wanna call someone that you know that will hold space for you. Someone that won't question you, won't give you help or direction or advice, but someone who is safe for you to cry, pour out your heart, even if it doesn't make any sense. Sometimes getting what's in your mind or in your heart out really helps the healing process. And if you don't have someone you can talk to, try journaling. Once you see what's going on, then you can actually address it. I want to share something that I felt like the Lord said to me when I was going through a difficult time. For those of you that don't know me, I have had my share of spiritual and physical abuse as a child. I was asking God about something that happened, and I wanted to respond in a loving way to someone that was doing something hurtful. And I told God I was so sorry for being angry at them. And when I asked him how he saw the situation, this is what I felt in my spirit. He said, what kind of father would I be if I didn't get angry about the injustices done to my kids? In that moment, I realized God was upset with the situation too. That kindness, that compassion really helped me to just let go of my own anger and trust this was in the Lord's hands. As I was praying about what to say in today's episode, I really felt led to Psalm 23. It says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. God sometimes will make you get away by yourself and be still. Verse 3 says, He restores my soul. We can trust that He will restore us. Verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So be encouraged. God's goodness and his mercy will be with you for the rest of your life. And you will never be separated from God. You will always dwell in his presence. I pray this is a blessing to you.
1: Thank you, Jill. And thanks for being with us this entire series. Uh, You should go follow her and her ministry at jillmonaco.com. You should also listen to her podcast, The Jill Monaco Show. You can
2: keep listening to that silky smooth voice whenever you listen to her podcast. <laughs> she needs to so read, she's to
1: read books to us.
2: Don't you think so? Let's hire her to come and just tell us bedtime stories.
1: She should just read books. That's what she, that's what she her podcast needs to be. I'm just reading you books right now. Just Jill. All reads of you parents books. who don't have time to actually sit down and read books, yes. go to sleep listening to Jill Monaco's voice.
2: Man, I would pay money
1: for that. (laughs) Hey, we want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing all the. Speaking of music that you can go to sleep by, let's thank Sleeping At Last for all the music um, that he he does. And thank you for providing it for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. Go and listen and download his music anywhere. Music can be downloaded or streamed. And uh, we would also want to encourage you to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, It's so helpful to us and so helpful to others as... They are able to see this gives us more exposure so more people can be yep. privy to these great stories of uh, people walking through trauma but finding healing in Jesus.
2: That's right. And don't forget to take the survey at nothingiswasted.com yeah. slash podcast survey. We want to hear from you. You can also mm-hmm. text the word NIW survey. That's one word, N I W survey to six six eight six six. You can follow us on Instagram at nothing is wasted ministries at Davy Blackburn and at Obsamp. And Davey, next week. You're
1: so, I know you're so pumped about this one because you interviewed Lisa Bevere.
2: I interviewed Lisa Bevere and kind of fangirled a little you bit. You did fangirl uh, a little bit. That's okay. Yeah, she, she was you She's know, worth fangirling about.
1: She was she was very down to earth. I was very I was uh, very I don't know why, you know, you get surprised someone who's as well known as Lisa Bevere right. like, oh, maybe they're not, but she was so down, so kind, so she was, and gracious. she spent
2: so much time oh, with us. Oh, so awesome. Just an absolutely lovely woman of So God. good.
1: You don't want to miss this conversation. Let's listen to a little clip from Aubrey's conversation next week that we're releasing with Lisa Bevere.
0: My mama didn't get what she needed from her mother. Mm. And because she didn't get what she needed from her mother, she didn't have what I needed. Yeah. for me. And so I kind of knew, hey, I don't want to be that mama or I don't want to be that wife. But knowing what you don't want to be is <laughs> not enough. It's not the same, right? Yeah. It's not (laughs) enough to construct what you do want to do. So I think at around 30, I was pregnant with my third son and I realized I am messing up big time. I I don't know how to be a wife. I don't know. This mother thing is overwhelming. I have three kids in five years of what is going on. And I wished so bad that I could have had an older woman that would come alongside me. I didn't even want her to be on my side. I just wanted Mm. her to be beside me. I wanted somebody Mm. to say, let me just tell you what I learned the hard way. Let Mm. me just tell you what I loved about my life and what I wish I would have known, what I wish I could have done differently.